Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome to the broadcast today. Um, don't worry, listener, um, I'm back. I know that the last five episodes were probably brutally harsh and hard to listen to because I wasn't here. How did you guys survive without me? It was tough, but we just we managed to squeak through. It really was tough. We missed you. It, I think maybe the radio station didn't even air those shows. <laughs> hey, we're actually all four of us in the room today. Yes, we are. How, 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 how have we been able to pull that off? Nobody's taking a vacation this week. It's I'm, I'm going to be on vacation the next three weeks. I forgot to tell you guys that. Sorry. <laughs> that's why you want to push through a few That's episodes. right. That's right. <laughs> Um, so for the next few broadcasts, we're going to be um, kind of reviewing um, James Bannerman's book called The Church of Christ. And some of you may think that we are a bit behind the time since the book was published in 1869. Why would we, why would we look at a book that's 151 years old? I mean, I mean, Phil, I know this is right up your alley, right? <laughs> what is that? I, well, actually, I actually didn't mean it like well, that. No, no, <laughs> well, no. Well, seriously, and I, and I do remember, uh, Jonathan and I do remember when this book came out. <laughs> yeah. um, we read it when it was hot off the press. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's just, it, it's, it, it, sometimes it's a wonderful, uh, gives you wonderful insights to go back before contemporary, the, the contemporary issues, which obviously are, are important and uh, many theologians are writing today about contemporary issues, and, and we need to be reading that and studying that, and and uh, knowing, as, as as the Book of Ephesians says, to uh, to know our time, the the times in which we live. But uh, sometimes it's really, really healthy to go back to an insight uh, from a from a wise Christian writer before contemporary times, and uh, to see how. That writer looked at something well with Bannerman in the case of Bannerman, uh, how he looked at the meaning of the church and the nature of the Church of Jesus Christ, and that can be a very very healthy spiritual exercise. You know, you really let me down because I thought you were going to quote C.S. Lewis about the value of old books. Oh yeah, I, I could do that too. Um, what did what did he refer to it as? Something uh, chronological, chronological snobbery. snobbery. Yeah. Yes. Snobbery. Yeah, you know, we have chronological snobbery. We f- we forget the value of uh, of the saints in the past. Yeah, you know, one of the things that, that I think is super valuable about old books is you go back and you realize, oh, yeah, there are differences between our time and their time, but they've actually dealt with a lot of the same problems. Yes. Well, people are consistent. You know, I mean, nothing changes about human nature, and this is partly why it's brought out. It's brought out in some of these treatments. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Did you want to add anything? (laughs) I was just going to say that um, I think it's healthy that some of our closest friends ought to be people that no longer are alive. Yeah. Um, 
they don't disappoint. Uh, you already know what their flaws were, and so they they can't fail you in the future. They, if if there was a failure in the past, we already know about it. Okay, I, I let you down. I didn't have the quote about Lewis, but how about how about one from Chesterton? Dave, that's second best. Yeah, you betcha. Chesterton said that tradition is the purest form of democracy because it extends the vote to the graveyard. Mm. It, it, tradition gives a vote to those who are no longer, it gives a voice to those who are no longer with us. And, and Chesterton and, didn't even live in Chicago. <laughs> that's right, yes, that's right. <laughs> Very good. And, but, uh, anyway, anyway, um, we, uh, <clears throat> we, we listen to the saints. In, in fact, one of the doctrines that we hold as Christians, and, and you, you repeat this doctrine if you're in a church that uses the Apostles' Creed, uh, there's a phrase, uh, I believe in the communion of saints. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't know what we're saying when we say the communion of saints. That we, What it means is we are a part of a body that includes those who have gone on to be with the Lord. There's the church triumphant that is with the Lord, and there's the church militant, which is here mm-hmm. on earth. And, and we are still in fellowship, and, and, and reading old books is a way of maintaining fellowship with Christians who are, are you know, they're, they're just not walking around anymore, but they still have voices through yeah. their writing. I used to have a little card that says, I'm going to my library to uh, spend some time with the venerable dead. Yes. And I, I think we, we've lost something in, in some of the modern writers' um, when you pick up a book like Bannerman's or Calvin's or Owen's or Edwards or some of these guys, what you'll find is that they were so thoroughly in, in embedded in God's Word in a way that's, that's different from today. You've got many authors today that are quoting scriptures, but it's because they've Googled something. It's because they, they have cross-referenced and done all of this electronic work that allows them easy access to, to the mm-hmm. Word of God. But when you have Calvin and Bannerman and all of these guys quoting Scripture and, and, and having it embedded in the text, it's because it was so embedded in them. Right. Um, they didn't have an easy way to, to search and, and be able to pull all of these texts. They, they had access to them because they were that familiar um, with the Word of God. And they were good scholars. It, you know, I mean, the difference, you know, we, we see it in modern education what children knew a hundred years ago, you know, at a certain grade level compared to what they know now at that same grade level is just remarkable. These men were scholars. They knew, they knew the languages. They knew, they knew authors. I mean, they, they actually had been not only in the Bible, but they'd been in the authors of the past themselves in the church fathers mm-hmm. and others. And so it's not, you know, they weren't coming up with something new. And when something was printed back in those days, um, you know, it was almost like paper was a premium, so they put a lot of words on a page. Yeah. You know, whereas you know, you you can pick a book up in the in the bookstore now, and everything is expanded into a font, and it's double spaced, and you go, this would have fit in a pamphlet, and I'm paying thirty bucks for this, um, quote unquote, new book. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. You can imagine my disgust. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't at all hear yeah, your voice. <laughs> So Bannerman was a Scotsman, and this book is essentially his magnum opus on the doctrine of the church. It's called The Church of Christ. Uh, Picking up a book like this, you might 
wonder how could someone say so much about the church? This is a thousand pages, mm-hmm. but Bannerman does it so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so before we d- dive into the book proper, um, let's just ask a couple foundational questions. What is the church and why does she exist? And before brothers, you answer, I would just wonder if you're listening to the, to the radio right now, how would you answer those questions? What is the church and why does the church exist? I'm going to just back up just slightly and say that in years gone by, authors and theologians gave a lot more significance to the doctrine of the church. So they would not have thought anything of a thousand-page book on on the church. Mm -hmm. Um, The church I belong to subscribes to the Belgic Confession. Well, one-fourth of the confession deals with the church. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a that's a significant amount of attention of all of the doctrines that the Belgic is covering. It deemed it important enough to to spend one fourth of the time, twenty five percent, on the church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's it, also a product of its time too, because yeah. the church was under attack during that period of time uh, significantly. And you begin to look at the New Testament, how much attention is given to the doctrine of the church. Yeah. We read the New Testament as individuals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not overly accurate. Yeah. It's not an overly accurate yeah, way to letter, read the New the, Testament. Yeah, the epistles were all written to churches. Yeah. Most of the writing is corporate in mm-hmm. nature. Mm-hmm. We read it individualistically. And I, I think we this pausing a little bit to talk about the church just maybe recenters us and says, oh, I think I think maybe I have the wrong uh, perspective as I come to God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, now on to your question. What what what's the what is what is, what the, is church the church and why does she exist? And if we have to go in a, tomorrow's broadcast on that, that's fine because this is important foundational work. Well just think of all the different words that are used for the church in the New Testament. And that gives you an understanding of what the church is. So, you know, it's the temple, it's it's the body, it's the family of God, it's the the you know Jesus is a sheep and we're or the shepherd and we're part of his sheepfold. Um you guys can jump in. It's a relationship it's the, pil- of, it's the pillar and the buttress of the truth. It's mm-hmm. uh the bride of Christ. The light of the world. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the hey, we're called the light of the world too. You looked at me funny there. This salt and light. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I was thinking. <laughs> okay. I was trying to think He's of trying to process others. another uh, metaphor uh, yeah. there. <laughs> but yeah. why is the New Testament using all of these various metaphors and imagery and, and words to describe the church? Yeah, and they all fit together. Yeah. Um the uh, and I'm I'm glad that the that the New Testament we should be thankful that the New Testament gives us a variety of metaphors, uh, but they all uh, <clears throat> come back to a a, a body a, a unit <clears throat> that's connected and under the headship of Christ. Yeah, mm-hmm. Phil feels so strongly about this; he's getting choked up. Yes, I am getting <laughs> choked up. <laughs> and yeah. and and we exist. The church exists to know Christ and to make Him known. Yes, mm-hmm. that that. We together as a body are are coming to know Christ in a lifelong, in fact, an eternal yeah. pursuit uh, to know Him. As, as, as Paul, yeah. Paul Paul says, my purpose in Philippians. Paul says, my determined purpose is to know Christ, 
and the power of his resurrection so we we are to know Christ and and we are the, his body in the world that to to make him known the, to, the, to proclaim him to the world the one word that uh, comes to mind is uh, is also that the very greek word for the church the ecclesia two words actually in greek uh, one is ek out of and and the other is kaleo which is called and so we're called out of this world, out of out of darkness into light. You know, mm-hmm. into out of the out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Um, that represents the people that are the church, mm-hmm. is as those that have been called to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. One verse. I, we we could probably point out several verses that, that give us kind of a purpose statement for the church. But one very important one is Ephesians three. Uh, verse 10, where it says that, uh, so God has called the Gentiles and the Jews together into one body, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is one of the reasons why the existence of the church is so vital today, because it demonstrates the glory of God's wisdom in a way that nothing else on earth does. Yeah, that goes to the purpose. Right. You know, yep. uh, not necessarily the definition of the church, Correct. but the purpose of the, of the church. And we recognize, you know, that you know, when uh, Phil referred to the communion of saints, you know, the, the saints that have gone before, we're, t- we're really talking about everyone who has been saved under the name of God, you know, by looking to his son uh, before he came or looking back on him in the cross after his appearance here. Amen. Well, you've been listening to The Gospel for Life. We're going to continue doing this review on this book and talking about the church, especially in this in this age, believers, that we live in right now, uh, an understanding of the church is one of the most vital things that uh, we all need. We'll see you next time. 